world is in shambles. It is. It but... seems to be like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's... We're, we're slowly <laughs> closing the door on one earth-shaking event and just opening it to another. It's like we're trying to close the door on complete and total chaos, and then the chaos just decides to shove its way back in. Yeah. Um, much like my cats when I try to use the bathroom. But, yeah. mm, but, but we're still here. We're still here to provide a little bit of, I guess, if you can call it levity, because, I mean, this is true crime. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, you know. It's a little hard... Like, yeah, we're a true crime podcast, but talking about specifically war is uh, yeah. kind of a, a large undertaking. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't really know how to begin upon it. So I don't know if we'll ever have an episode dedicated to, like, a specific war. Mm. I mean, technically, we did the West Virginia Coal Wars. That's but. true. Yeah. That, that was... I would say on a micro level compared to yes. what is happening What is going now. on right now. Um, <sighs> yeah. Yeah. But just, and if any of our listeners are in Ukraine from Ukraine, um, there, there have been a couple that have popped up, but I don't know whether mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, you happened to be there and you were listening or you know what I mean. Um, we're just, we're really, we're really just, watching and hoping and for those of us who believe in it praying and just if there's anything that there's a lot we of different can do, anyone can do there's a lot of different um places where you can donate that have been mm -hmm. circulating in the past like few days mm -hmm. so um uh, i'll see if i can collect some good resources like uh research to see where money is going and everything and uh i'll see if i could put that on the website yeah okay All yeah right. but this is the first episode of march mm -hmm. so this is going to be the first episode we're doing a woman's history month this year and if you we guys are if you're like hey guys it was just uh february and you didn't talk about black history month we're gonna do one special month a year and i already had my outlines picked for this month and um, I was struggling to find topics for Black History Month that I could research within the short time frame that I had. And it just seemed like every topic that I found deserved way more <laughs> research than I had time to allot it for. So next year, we are going to be doing a Black History Month um, themed episodes. And if you have a topic that you think would fit um black history month definitely send it our way and we'll uh see if we can add it to our list of episodes for next year but this this year this month we're doing a couple episodes uh highlighting women's history so yeah. that is that and you're starting with i am first and i will be talking about piper kerman i don't think i know this one you do okay you yeah. always know you always know what i know i know <laughs> all right i know that i know that you know um but yeah so hopping right into this so piper eris it, it, I, I had different pronunciations don't we always came up get for this. this um it's either piper erisea or eressa kerman e-r-e-s-s-e-a um 
She was born on, on, on September 28th, 1969 in Boston, Massachusetts, into what she's described as like a waspy family of doctors, educators, lawyers. You know, you got the mom, the dad, the daughter, the son, that stereotypical like American dream family unit sort of thing. White picket fence, golden retriever. Yep, yep. No word on whether there was a golden retriever involved, but you you get my, like the New England, yes. So Kerman led a pretty sheltered life. She graduated from Swampscott High School in Swampscott, Massachusetts, a small, reasonably affluent town about 14 miles, or for our international listeners, a little over 22 kilometers north of Boston um, in 1987. And when she was 18, 19, she came out and identified as a lesbian for much of her younger years. She didn't date men or anything like that she was mm-hmm. you know she she was gay she was I, I say this now because there 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 is for those who know this case some questioning of her sexuality and i don't approve of by erasure so spoiler alert yeah she is whatever but, she says she is she's good whatever exactly exactly um but so after graduating from Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts, hey, in my friend went to Smith. No, you're kidding! Yeah, I visited Smith when she was there. Oh, it's a very pretty school. That's I. That's what I hear. Like, I mean, and that's that's the case with a lot of like New Englandy schools too. Is yeah. they've got the foliage on their side. Um. Oh, that's so funny. Did Did your friend major in in theater by any chance? No, women's history. No. All right. No library oh, sciences. No. Oh, okay. I think women's history and the I don't know. She'll tell me. Good friend. Um, <laughs> yep. So she graduated with this degree in theater and like many college graduates just found herself largely adrift afterwards um, and was just waiting tables with what she later called, quote, a thirst for bohemian counterculture, end quote. Okay. So tight. Yeah. Then comes 1993. When she meets Catherine Cleary Walters, who is a, she was a charismatic, cool, and in Kerman's words, quote, an impossibly stylish, end quote, By woman. your tone, I'm, I'm gathering that this woman's going to be a piece of work. Oh, she's something. Okay. Um, she was in her 30s. So already we've got, why, why are you in your 30s interested in a 23-year-old? We've had this discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was also... As long as they're two consenting adults. I mean, yes. But that's I not the wildest uh, age difference in the world. No, no. But um, the wilder issue here is that she was a heroin dealer and smuggler for an alleged Nigerian kingpin or West African kingpin. I had differing sources. Some said he was from Nigeria. Some said he was from West Africa. Some said he was a she. So is this an AOL email scam from the it's early not. 90s? It's not. It's not. This person, all of these people exist. Wow. All in right. In real life. But so, yeah. So the two fell in love and Kerman, she didn't smuggle any drugs. However, she did end up helping launder money for the drug operation and at one point carried a suitcase containing over $10,000 from Chicago, Illinois to Brussels, Belgium for this drug operation. Like all she right, became then. involved yeah. in it. Um, and so the couple also lived a life that was a huge departure from the way that drug rings are usually depicted in books and movies. 
They lounged at beach clubs in Bali. They went skinny dipping in waterfalls. They relaxed during free spa treatments around the world. This is like, the first just, half of the movie before things go to shit. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Um, Kerman later told the New York Times, quote, It was this huge departure from everything that was expected of me. There's a set of things that nice young women from Seven Sisters schools did, and I wasn't that interested. My path crossed with this person. She made me an offer, and I took it against all sense of self-preservation, end mm. quote. So eventually, the two broke up, went their separate ways, and Kerman went to San Francisco. She quit the drug ring, um, and there she continued to date women and then met and fell in love with her first boyfriend, Larry Smith. The two went on to move to New York. They got engaged. They were, like, living their life together until 1998, when her past came back to haunt her, when a United States customs officers, when United States customs officers, I don't know why I put an A in there, there was more than one, um, arrived at her home in Greenwich Village with a warrant for her arrest. Oh. So Kerman was indicted on charges of felonious money laundering activities and drug smuggling. Um she quickly pled guilty, but due to a series of legal entanglements that included the U.S. government trying and failing to have that drug kingpin extradited to the U.S. from uh -huh. Great Britain, um, she didn't serve her 15-month sentence at the Federal Correctional Institution for Women in Danbury, Connecticut, and that's the place that Martha Stewart tried to go. Okay. Um, she didn't serve it until six years after she was indicted in early 2004. Whoa. Yeah. So Kerman later pointed out that her sentence was her sentence was far from harsh, 15 years in a minimum security prison, um, telling truth out, quote, a minimum security women's federal facility is probably your best case scenario if you're going to be incarcerated, end mm -hmm. quote. And she credited this largely with having the proper resources, a good lawyer and a solid support system that included her loving fiance and a job waiting for her when she got out. Okay. So when Kerman broke the news to her friends that she was going to jail, they laughed. Uh, they didn't believe her. After all, she was a self-described, quote, nice blonde and, quote, well-educated young lady from Boston, end quote. But it was, in fact, real. And she began to realize that plenty of other people may have, like, questions about her situation as well. Because it's like, oh, like, she she wasn't the type. And nobody believed that she was going to prison for, like... Something as hardcore as like international Dru drug, yeah. a yeah. drug, drug ring. Um, and she's this, like she said, like she's this blonde haired, blue eyed, like New England, like now, like. Well, I think that was also. Starting out her life. That was also the initial interest in cases like Ted Bundy is like, mm -hmm. he doesn't look like the boogeyman that you think. He, mm -hmm. Like you hear about everything he does, he did. And you're like, wait, that guy? did that and same thing with like jeffrey dahmer jeffrey dahmer just yeah. kind of looked like like a quiet nerd almost yes and yes. and so i think it's whenever one of these cases happen where it's like it like goes so against what people's like preconceived notions of that type of crime is mm -hmm. that's when it gets like to be super popular and everyone goes wait what yeah that's that and that's kind of pretty much what happened but it was in her own like kind of social circle yeah so in 2003, she started a website called The Pipe Bomb, and she recorded her musings about her legal troubles. And before she served her sentence, she wrote to her friends on the website, quote, 
you should take extra special care of Larry, not to mention keeping a close eye on him, end quote, and joking that they should, however, quote, keep in mind that Piper expects to be at her fighting weight and mean as a snake when she gets out, end quote. All right. So after she entered the correctional facility, the website featured details like her Amazon wish list, which is still active today. Oh, God. Um, but it's it's the, the proceeds go to families against mandatory minimums. And but you can still see what she had on her list. And it was like all books. She planned to do a lot of reading. All right. Um, like Homer's The Odyssey, some Virginia Woolf novels, um, a novel by Robert Reich. Uh, a Nigella Lawson cookbook. Okay. Um, it had an FAQ, her contact information while in jail, including like visiting hours. All right. And a countdown of the number of days until she was released. And then blog entries written by her her partner, Larry Smith, based on their communications when he would visit her and talk to her on the phone uh-huh. about her daily life in jail. So initially, Kerman struggled in the facility when she entered it. But she soon learned the troubles of being a convicted felon and adapted to her new environment. Because in there, she wasn't like, oh, like, what's this nice white woman doing in here? It was she, like, the corrections officers saw her as a felon and treated her as such. Yep. And we all, for those who don't know, you're going to find out. But we all kind of know what that means. Um, So in one passage from her memoir, spoiler alert, she's going to have a memoir. We'll get to it. Uh, Kerman recalls avoiding eye contact with her fellow prisoners upon her arrival only to be periodically, quote, periodically accosted, end quote, by what she referred to as the, quote, welcome wagon, end quote. That sounds sinister. Well, mm, you think. Who would ask her questions like, quote, you're new? How are you doing, honey? Are you okay? End quote. Okay. Though there weren't any hard lines between races in day-to-day life, there were kind of cliques. Um, And so Kerman noted that race did play a role, but not in ways that you would expect. She later wrote of the, quote, welcome wagon experience. Um, She said, quote, most of them were white. This was a tribal ritual that I would see play out hundreds of times in the future. When a new person arrived, their tribe, white, black, Latino, or the few and far between Others would immediately make note of their situation, get them settled, and steer them through their arrival. If you fell into that other category, Native American, Asian, Middle Eastern, then you got a patchwork welcome committee of the kindest and most compassionate women from the dominant tribes. Hmm. The other white women brought me a bar of soap, a real toothbrush and toothpaste, shampoo, some stamps and writing materials, some instant coffee, cremora, a plastic mug, and perhaps most important, the shower shoes to avoid terrible foot fungi. It turned out that these were all items that one had to purchase at the prison commissary. You didn't have the money to buy toothpaste or soap? Tough. Better hope that another prisoner would give it to you. I wanted to bawl every time another lady brought me a personal care item and reassured me, it'll be okay, Kerman. End quote. She later told Truth Out, quote, The degree to which people look out for each other, which is completely necessary because the system is certainly not looking out for anyone, was very surprising and moving. End quote. I was going to say, it's it's very nice that they do that for each other, and uh, they certainly don't have to, but it's disgusting that the system makes it so that that is even necessary in the first place. Like, you don't have, like, you're not given a toothbrush and toothpaste. Like, that seems like just a basic right. care Human item. Right, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because she talked about this because 
not only were they not given to these inmates, but they were sold at an incredible markup. And yeah, and what are they supposed to do to get money for it? Like, yeah, well, they would. They will. We'll get to that as to what they had to do. Um, but she said that the difference between her prison and others were that that money would go back into programs within the prison, whereas many other prisons use it as a like for profit yeah. sort of yeah model. Like for example, there'd be like a seven dollar like headset to listen to music like it would be seven dollars like for civilians uh-huh. and in there it would be like 40 bucks wow yeah um but yeah so despite her attorney's warnings and quite honestly from even from what i've just told you like i can't blame her kerman became friends with her fellow inmates and she began like sharing stories about her life and they shared theirs and mm-hmm. just they began exchanging just stories and she learned about people whose lives were much different from her own. She later told the New York Times, quote, the backgrounds of women in prison include physical abuse, addiction, and mental health issues to a much larger extent than male prisoners. Larry was phenomenal, but there were plenty of women in Danbury whose husbands were locked up in other prisons. One of the heartbreaking things I saw was the envelopes in the mail with kiss marks on them addressed to, feder- to, to another federal penitentiary, end quote. She also told Truth Out, quote, What was so sobering for me was seeing the women who are afraid to go home. It's devastating. There are a lot of women who were just going home to incredibly uncertain futures, going home to homeless shelters in many instances, going home to a setting where they were not going to be able to work as construction workers or carpenters or in the greenhouse. Some of those women were very scared of the temptation of drugs and alcohol because those were huge factors in what landed them in prison. Women are, who are in prison are much more likely to have been victims of violence, either in their recent history or throughout their life. And so those were really sobering truths to see play out right in front of you, end quote. Yeah. And like, what is what is the hope of the women who who are in jail and just terrified? You're in jail and you're terrified to leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you can't like if if you don't have a stable place to be at or a stable headspace or any type of support, then like you're, you're probably coming back. Yeah. Well, and, and she talked about that in another interview too, where she was saying how like spoiler alert, when she gets out, she doesn't go back or she hasn't yet gone back. I don't know. I don't think that that's going to happen, but it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but for many, because they didn't have all of the privilege that she has, that's why they would end up back sometimes even for just like minor parole violations because they can't like who were we talking about um recently we were talking about a case where there were children who they were taken from their mother the heart family the heart family that's what it was thank you i totally like (laughs) blanked but just like small like because that their grandmother, I believe it was their aunt, could not afford health care. Yeah. Then she or, or uh, child care. She could not care for the kids. Yeah. And then so they had the to kids be put in a go situation. Into the system. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a very similar situation in that they can't get the resources that they need, so they go back into this system that they're trying to avoid. But it's just it's a it's it's cyclical. It's it's not sustainable. Yeah. But yeah. Um So Kerman's jail time also had her eyes opened to the poor living conditions experienced by those in the U.S. prison system, including inevitable food, inedible, inedible food, uh, mold in the showers. Like I told you before, they gave her shower shoes and even rats. 
And this is um, from one women's prison in a very like a relatively a, wealthy and, state. Yes, and it, it's a minimum security prison. So yeah. it's like again, Martha Stewart wanted to go there. Yeah, wanted um, to go there. Yes, yes. She was like, if you're gonna send me to prison, send me to this one. Yeah. Um, but so she, Kerman, told the New York Times like she was saying that what bothered her most wasn't these issues, but was that people didn't care. They just yeah. simply didn't give a shit. And she told the New York Times, quote, as one warden said, we're throwing people in jail that we're mad at instead of people we're scared of. Most women are not there for violent offenses. Like almost all the women in that place, I endured things like groping from the guards, but no prisoner ever laid a hand on me and I didn't witness any physical violence, end quote. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and just to hammer it home that Kerman's daily life was largely uneventful. Again, remember, her website is active, so she'll tell her husband or her at the time her fiance um updates and he'll post them on this website and so during one update smith detailed kerman's job in the prison which is how she makes money to buy things from the commissary like you were asking before um and she talks about this too because like we'll get into her job and it's more uh manual labor sort of thing not manual labor but i say this because in comparison she also has since taken issue with for example companies like victoria's secret who a lot of their manufacturing comes from prison labor. Oh. And yeah, and and it's not just them. It's not like I mean there's a lot of things wrong with Victoria's Secret, but they're not the only people to do this, but that prisoners are paid not a living wage, like cents on the dollar. I mean, people and, outside of prison are also not paid a living wage. Yes, so, but I'm I mean, yes, but I'm saying shit wall to wall, but in prison you're really not given you're not, too much of an option. Yes, you don't have an option and you still need to be able to afford these things from the commissary and you're being paid, again, like cents, not dollars, yeah, cents. Yeah, yeah. And to buy overpriced to pay, goods, too. Yes, for overpriced goods. Um, but so during this one update, um, Smith said, quote, Piper's job assignment is, an el- is as an electrician, which seems to cover everything from changing light bulbs to fixing hair blow dryers to occasionally messing with fiber optic cables. She's caused an electrical blackout once, briefly, and in short order, she's pretty much established herself as top dog in the boss's shop, though this has led to everyone bringing her their broken headphones to fix all the time. One thing we know, our girl will be handy around the house when she gets out. Good thing, as I'm certainly not. Hmm. End quote. In another entry, Smith shared a recipe for prison cheesecake that Kerman and her friend, her fellow inmates, well, friends, um, I misread the word fellow, but I mean friends, um, would make to celebrate birthdays, uh, people being released, uh, any any like milestones, yeah. holidays, things like that, which required ingredients like, quote, one round of laughing cow cheese, eight wedges, four cups of vanilla pudding, and six ounces of coffee mate, end quote. All right. Uh, 13 months into her sentence, during which time she was also transferred to Metropolitan Correctional Center in Chicago, Illinois, in Around late 2004, I couldn't really get, like, the the exact details, but she spent a couple months there. Okay. Um, after 13 months of her 15-month sentence, Kerman was released. And it was this same privilege that got her such a lenient sentence that made assimilating back into society that much easier than the average ex-convict. Mm-hmm. Uh, she told Truth Out, quote, I came home to a stable housing situation. I came home to a job that a friend had created for me at a company that he runs. I came home to a family that had resources to help me. And those were all great things, but they're extremely atypical. 
Most folks who come home have really serious challenges in at least one of those areas, if not all of those areas. Issues of housing, employment, and especially for female prisoners, issues of family reunification are colossal. Mm-hmm. I don't have children. I didn't have to contend with all those things. I had two years of probation to complete. I was monitored by the parole officer in downtown Brooklyn. I remember my PO was on vacation once when I had to request a travel permission from work. Anytime I traveled outside the city, I needed to get permission. In her absence, she had left the phone number of her boss. I was a little nervous. I faxed my request and called, and finally he called me back. And he said, oh, Kerman, yeah, I've got your file right here. You're one of our success stories. Hmm. And you know, that was a nice thing for him to say, but I had to laugh a hollow laugh because the barriers to re-entry that people that most people face are so much harder, end quote. Yeah, I was gonna say it doesn't it doesn't uh not help her the fact that she is a white, blonde haired, blue eyed woman. Mm-hmm. From an a, a relatively again, doctors, lawyers, teachers, like an, yeah. a pretty affluent family. I mean, she's already a- she's already starting halfway up the staircase. Yeah. <laughs> when lots yeah. of these people are basically born, underground. Yeah, yeah, b- and born into it. Yeah. Um, so about a year after her release on May 21st, 2006, Kerman married Smith, and she went on to have a child. A brain child, that is. Mm-hmm. <gasps> I love it when I do that. Everybody else doesn't, but I do. Um, so on April 6th, 2010, uh, Kerman published a memoir about her experiences. I will give you three guesses as to what that memoir is. I now, because I'm not sure if you have gathered. Uh, yes, now that you have uh, have gone through the case. I'm the like, Piper okay. should have been the hint, well, but okay. I, I never watched the show. It's Orange is the New Black, right? It is Orange is the New Black. Yeah, I, I never um, actually watched it, so I didn't know like too many details about the show uh, besides like base level things. Okay. Well, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, But yeah, so the the memoir was titled Orange is the New Black, My Year in a Women's Prison. It went on to reach number one on the New York Times bestseller list. The novel has a 94% Google score and a 3.71 out of five on Goodreads with over 192,000 ratings. Oh, yeah. Uh, the synopsis reads, quote, with her career, live-in boyfriend, and loving family, Piper Kerman barely resembles the rebellious young woman who got mixed up with drug runners and delivered a suitcase of drug money to Europe over a decade ago. But when she least expects it, her reckless past catches up with her. Convicted and sentenced to 15 months at an infamous women's prison in Connecticut, Piper becomes inmate number 11187424. From her first strip search to her final release, she learns to navigate this strange world with its arbitrary rules and codes, its unpredictable, even dangerous relationships. She meets women from all walks of life who surprise her with tokens of generosity, hard truths, and simple acts of acceptance, end quote. So, all right. that's the synopsis. Uh, Kerman knew that she wanted to tell this story to bring to light the failures of the U.S. prison system and its dehumanizing effects on the people who are incarcerated in it. She later told New York Magazine, quote, it wasn't even so much my own story, but the people I met along the way who would probably never have this opportunity, end quote, and that her primary concern was that the strangeness of her situation would overshadow the message that, quote, the prison system is so much about is just so much about wasted time and wasted opportunities, end Mm -hmm. quote. 
Furthermore, she told Truth Out, quote, the reason I wrote this book, it, the book, is because of that disconnect that I had between my expectations about prison and the people who live there and my own experience. And also when I came home, the disconnect between people's perceptions and assumptions about what I had experienced. It's a sprawling system with all kinds of different facilities and people, but my own experience ran very counter to the image of prisons and prisoners in the popular culture. I think it's really hard for people to understand and care about an issue until they have an emotional connection with it, end quote. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, generally, I think that the work that she decided to do with this situation is good. She wants to improve the U.S. prison systems. I mean, spoiler alert, she is still actively working to, like, for prison reform yep. in the United States. But not everybody was a fan of the book. Again, like I said, it's got a 3.71 out of 5 and nearly 200,000 reviews, 192,000. Yeah. So... Not everybody was a fan. Um, for all those who were fascinated by the idea of a like clutch your pearls, like a white woman being held accountable for her actions, what do you mean? Um, many were quick to point out that Kerman's inherent privilege in the situation, like that it, like other she had a different color, experience. Than, she did, yeah. Than yeah, th than somebody of color who also went to that exact same prison, right, or a lower economic status, yeah. Um, and not even just that, that prison, but she went to, like, one of the better prisons. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, so they weren't, these other, like, people weren't cut as much slack by the public as, like, this seemingly, like, innocent, like, blue-eyed, blonde, like, waspy yeah. woman. Um, for example, critics took issue with Kerman writing in her novel, quote, The women I met in Danbury helped me confront the things I had done wrong, as well as the wrong things that I had done, end quote. And... They took issue with this basically because, like, it wasn't the jobs or purposes of these women and their stories to educate Kerman as a white privileged woman. Mm -hmm. That that's not why they were like put into her life. Basically, mm -hmm. um, they're they're people too with their own stories and with their own like issues. Um, and it wasn't meant to be like a reminder of how lucky Kerman was, like to Kerman. Mm -hmm. um, she herself was not somehow dropped into prison through no fault of her own and other non-white ex-cons were not rewarded and lauded as heroes for like making it through their prison sentence and then calling attention to like how like all these cracks in this yeah. u.s prison system yeah um so it was frustrating for people that only after a white woman has to suffer through a relatively small sample of what life in prison is yeah that like people started to pay attention and that wealthier more powerful populations even cared to notice and that they seemed to kind of gloss over the fact that she did commit these crimes yeah. it wasn't like like people kind of treated it like oh my god like this poor woman she did it like yeah, she did things that she, she did knew would get her in prison yeah she got away with it almost but she did it so kerman ugh. There was there was more criticism that people were saying that Kerman was just using this book to capitalize on her situation, that she didn't seem to be truly sorry for her actions okay. um, be, by not being like loud and proud. Like, oh, by the way, I am an ex-convict. Like, let's not forget I'm more than just an educated white woman. Yeah, I am. I am an ex-convict. It's not like she went in like Nellie Bly style and decided to do some investigative journalism or she mm -hmm. wasn't like an anthropologist or a sociologist going in to see how the inner workings like 
No, like yeah. she was writing about her experiences as one of these people. Yeah. Um, but Kerman has understood and from what I've gathered, even agreed with some of this criticism. Uh, she told the New York Times, quote, I see the heavy hallmarks of my behavior and I can't be flippant or understate my culpability in the lives that are wrecked by drugs. End quote. She told Austin LGBTQ news outlet L Style G Style, quote, I mean, if I could go back in time and change my actions, then I would absolutely do it in a heartbeat. There are very important reasons for that. Obviously, the experience of incarceration is a terrible one and a traumatic one. But regardless of any kind of penalties that I personally faced, I put my family through hell. My parents, my brother, my partner, Larry, my friends, they do that time with you. But even more important than that, the very fundamental fact of the offense and so when I was 22 years old and out there thinking I was having some crazy adventure, I was really not thinking about the impact that my actions would have on others. Not only did I hurt those who were nearest and dearest to me, but of course my actions furthered other people's substance abuse and addiction, and that is not something to be taken lightly. If I could go back in time and not carry that bag of drug money, I would do it, end quote. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I obviously like... I, I agree with critics. I understand what they're saying, but at least she is taking accountability, in my opinion. Yeah, and I don't think anything that anybody does is ever going to be a hundred percent universally loved by yeah everybody that experiences it. Like obviously, I mean, she can only speak from her experience, mm-hmm. and um, yes, like there should be criticism, and um, like there should be it should be noted the gaps in her experience. Um, based on like what could have happened if she was uh, of a different economic status of a different mm-hmm. race, blah, 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 like all those things. But um, I, I do, I do still think that overall it's good that she told her story because now those things are being talked about. Yeah. It sucks that people weren't paying attention. They didn't care enough until it happened to a, a white woman. It's kind of like the Gabby Petito case. Like, yeah. it sucks that this is what made people pay attention. But at the same time, if it's going to help other people because more people are now paying attention, then it shouldn't just be it shouldn't just be demonized because right. of uh, oversights in in telling the story. It's yeah, it's not all black and white. Like there's a gray area here. And that's why we need to talk about it. Yes. Yeah. So um, Smith also wrote about Kerman's incarceration from his perspective in two New York Times modern love columns about the couple's relationship. Uh, Like Kerman's novel, these columns were met with both praise and criticism. In response to Smith's second essay, in which he acknowledged that while his wife got a book deal out of her experience, quote, the majority of women are booked and forgotten, end quote. Brenda V. Smith, the director of program of the program on gender, crime, sex, and community at the American University Washington College of Law, wrote, quote, Juxtapose Ms. Kerman's experience against the majority of women serving sentences in prisons who are disproportionately African-American, Latina, and non-citizens. Their imprisonment is often framed as a casualty in the war on drugs, while Ms. Kerman's involvement in an international drug ring was a brief period of recklessness. End quote. Mm-hmm. So with excerpts being published in major magazines and newspapers, Orange is the New Black was so successful that it should hopefully come as a surprise to nobody listening that talk soon began to turn it into a movie or maybe even a TV show, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, Ryan Murphy, he, our fave, oh, um, yeah. 
he had the rights to Kerman's memoir, but later admitted that he could never figure out how to properly like tell the story, so he just let it lapse. Okay. Um, from there, Weed's creator, Jenji Cohen, took the reins, and the novel was adapted into the hit Netflix series of the same name, which premiered in July 2013 and became an overnight smash hit. And it was like one of Netflix's like, first original it, yeah, TV it, shows, it right? Put, it put streaming services like creating their own content like on the map because people were yeah. just like oh like, my god people, they can do that and it's I, good. yeah i knew i knew people that got netflix because yes. they were like this show is happening and everyone says it's incredible and yeah like you need to be a part of it i i did not nearly watch as much netflix until that show came out because yeah. it was just like oh if, if if they had a movie that came out or or if they got like for example like friends then i would use it to watch it but then when orange is the new black came out it was like, oh shit! Like, I need, I need to check this out. I fuck. I wrote some of my thesis from college on this show. Uh huh. From Piper Kerman to Rachel Green, blah 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 blah. I don't know. It's on my LinkedIn. Y'all can find it. Um, but it just it made a huge impact culturally speaking, and also for the television industry. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so the series itself has an 8 out of 10 on IMDb with over 293,000 ratings. Wow. Um, a 94,000, 94,000, Jesus Christ, a 94% Google score <laughs> and a 90% tomato meter rating and 82% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And that's cumulative because each season gets their own. Yep. Um, most seasons ranked in the mid 90th percentile for tomato meter ratings, though there was a slight dip in the fifth and sixth seasons. And while I'm not going to read the critics' consensus for all seven seasons, I will read the first season's um, consensus, which is, quote, Orange is the New Black is a mix, is a sharp mix of black humor and dramatic theft with interesting characters and an intriguing flashback structure, end quote. In addition to being credited as the author of the book on which the series was based, Kerman served as an executive consultant. Okay. Um, in fact, on her first visit to the set, the production team were like, hey, can you like come with us real quick? And they take her to the to the not the casting crew bathroom, but the bathroom on the set like that's mm-hmm. that they film in because they wanted to make sure it was gross enough. All right. Yeah. Um, but so she also makes a cameo in the show's opening credits. She's the blue eyed blonde inmate who blinks. Okay. Um, that's actually her. like for those who haven't seen it, they show different like not actual actors in the show but different inmates quote unquote and it's just like a a what they called in um when i was in college a shampoo shot which is because it's just your head and your shoulders um but um but that's what it is and it just shows it's kind of like these are the faces of the women's prison system but one of them is kerman um and then also when the final season aired in 2019, she made a guest appearance in the last scene of the finale when Piper, the character, not the person, uh-huh. visits this character, Alex, who we'll get into in an Ohio prison. And Kerman, you can see her. She is seated two spaces to the left of Alex as an inmate being visited by her husband, who is played in a bonus cameo by Larry Smith, her actual oh, husband. All right, then. So, yeah, um, not Everything about the show was completely accurate. Cohen told the New York Times, however, quote, we check in with Piper on every script about authenticity, but we take a lot of liberties. Otherwise, we'd all go bananas, end quote. Kerman's name was changed from Piper Chapman to Piper Chapman for the show. So that's the character's name. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of the events are dramatized for TV. 
Uh, For example, I'm including this excerpt from her New York Times interview because I think it's just so funny. Um, Quote, the night before she reports to prison after pleading guilty to smuggling drug money, Piper frets about maintaining her blonde hair and meticulously groomed eyebrows. She anticipates that at least she can use her incarceration to, quote, get ripped, read everything on her Amazon wish list, maybe even learn a craft. She asks her fiancé to keep her website updated, and when she walks into the penitentiary, she's carrying a burrata sandwich. Of course, the story was different for Piper Kerman. The sandwich she brought was foie gras. End quote. Oh, right. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's funny. Um, so I thought I'd share. Because it's, it's my world. Everyone's just living in it, right? Um, but furthermore, Piper Chapman was a debutante. Piper Kerman was not. Um she even told the New York Times, quote, not even close. <laughs> Good. <laughs> End quote. Um, Clearing that up. Yes. Uh, the character's relationships with her her actual partner was Larry, and the character that plays her partner is Larry. Um, her relationships with Larry and her best friend were heavily fabricated because IRL Piper and Larry are still happily married. They have a child. They're, like, living it up in Ohio. Yeah. Um, things did not go that way for other Piper and other Larry. And that's why I mentioned other best friend. We can all kind of deduce because I'm not going to try to spoil anything, even though it ended like not that long ago, everybody, like a few years ago. Um, but yeah. So furthermore, her relationship with Walters, upon whom the character Alex Voss, played by Laura Prepon from, um, that 70s show was, was based, um, that relationship was never rekindled in prison. Um, in mm. fact, they didn't really spend time together in prison. They weren't in the same prison together. They didn't really ever see each other again after they broke up, except for when, while awaiting trial, Kerman saw Walters for the first time <coughs> since she had left her and the drug ring behind because they were held at the same facility and at one point even shared a cell. Um, mm. But in fact, uh, Kerman suspects that her ex was the one who named her in the investigation, later writing that she, quote, had overwhelming flashes of hostility, end quote, towards Walters. But, quote, regardless of whether she was honest with me, I wanted to forgive her. If I could forgive, it meant I was a strong, good person, and it gave me the simple but powerful satisfaction of extending a kindness to another person in a tough spot, end quote. Mm. She told the New York Times of the show's portrayal of her relationships, quote, I've been getting a lot of questions about that on Twitter. The thing about being incarcerated is that many of your struggles are internal. You're thinking about what landed you in this wretched place, which is hard to dramatize. So external conflict, which any sensible person in prison is trying to avoid, is really important for television, end quote. Mm -hmm. But though many details were changed, some aspects, like the people Kerman encountered, are very real. She told Truthout, quote, Sister Ardeth Platt is a nonviolent, peaceful protester and a Roman Catholic nun who was locked up for almost four years with two other nuns for cutting a fence in Colorado and doing a nonviolent protest at a missile silo. Mm. I wanted to use her real name in the book, and she gave me permission, which was lovely, end quote. Mm. Pensatucky is another character based on a real person. Um she she a lot of people kind of would remember her she was like the meth head like there's that one line where she goes something like piper says something to the equivalent of like um it's not my fault that you chose meth over teeth um Mm -hmm. but she was another character based on a real person who was part of this like group of lower class young white women that kerman referred to as the quote eminemlets end quote like eminem the rapper um 
Kerman described Pensatucky as a, quote, young woman from Western Pennsylvania who proudly called herself a redneck, end quote, who, quote, like most of the Eminemlets, always seemed to be looking for a fight, but she was like a lost girl, end quote, hmm. which is pretty, both of those, like, characters, like, the descriptions kind of carried over into the the TV series show? yes yeah. there, there was another character yoga jones who was very similar to a woman she didn't go by yoga jones in the book but she was described very similarly uh-huh um but yeah unfortunately the blatant homophobia by the corrections facility in orange is the new black was also accurate uh with kerman telling l style g style quote literally the second day of my incarceration i was sent off with all the other new prisoners to do orientation that takes place which is an all day affair and you know staffer after staffer would just say quote don't be gay for this day don't be gay for this day Mm. so control of in this case women's sexuality is completely inherent in the experience of incarceration it's control of your life in this in every sense but there is a relentless focus on sexuality and on control of sexuality including and not limited to relationships between women but that just is a big part of that hierarchy, which governs the way the correctional institutions are run, end quote. Mm-hmm. During its run, the series was nominated for everything from Golden Globes to even a Grammy for the main to the, for the theme song, which was by Regina Spector. Mm-hmm. It won four Emmy Awards. Uzo Aduba won the 2014 Emmy for Outstanding Guest Act- Actress in a Comedy Series and the 2015 Emmy for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series for her portrayal of Suzanne Crazy Eyes Warren in mm-hmm. the series. And then Orange is the New Black itself won the 2014 award for awards for outstanding casting for a comedy series and outstanding single camera picture editing for a comedy series they also won the 2015 2016 and 2017 sag awards for outstanding performance by an ensemble in a comedy series while aduba won the 2015 and 2016 sag awards for outstanding performances by a female actor in a comedy series and i agree they were all well deserved this really put uzo aduba on the map this show yeah and well-deserved because she plays this this mentally ill woman and they really dive into the treatment of mentally ill people in prison. She's a mentally ill black woman. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's 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 a it's it's a beautiful, heartbreaking portrayal. Um, but yeah, if you want to watch this show, you can watch it on Netflix still. You can binge the whole damn thing. Seven seasons. Knock wow. yourselves out. Yeah. Um, I stopped watching after the death of a certain character because my heart couldn't take it. Um, Y'all can message me and ask which one it is. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Um, But that 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 one that ended me. And I was like, I think I'm done here. Uh, But I hear the ending is very good. Um, (laughs) One day, one day I will be emotionally able to continue that series. Mm -hmm. Um, But on February 10th, 2014, Kerman received the Justice Trailblazer Award from the John Jay College of Criminal Justice Center on Media, Crime, and Justice. A little over two weeks later, on February 25th, she testified at a hearing on reassessing solitary confinement before the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on the Constitution, Civil Rights, and Human Rights. Hmm. The following year, on August 4th, 2015, she also testified at a hearing on oversight of the Bureau of Prisons, firsthand accounts of challenges facing the federal prison system before Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. Since then, she's worked as a communication strategist for nonprofits. She serves on the board of the Women's Prison Association, which is an advocacy group founded in 1845. 
Mm. And she spends her time advocating for criminal justice reform and teaching writing at local correctional facilities and colleges and giving lectures during public speaking opportunities for anything from like foundations, charities, um, like speaking at prisons, speaking for people who work in like at like kind of like as an educational like, hey, this is what you shouldn't do for your inmate to your inmates for your inmates. Yeah. Um, So she's really just she's making a difference she's she's taking this this situation that she was put in or that she put herself in um and truly like is trying her best to take the bad that she put into the world and she can't take it out but she can put more good in the world Mm -hmm. to supplement that so I just I think that that was kind of a nice little way to start off Women's History Month was with right. somebody who found themselves in the prison system. We've, we've talked about female criminals before, but I don't think any have had such a positive impact as this so publicly. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone knows Orange is the New Black, even if you haven't seen it. So right. it's starting a conversation that needs to be had. And, and it also addressed conversations. It really like... Genji Cohen especially used it to address other issues within prison systems that weren't necessarily called attention to by Kerman, such as like, for example, treatment like of of racial relations between inmates and guards um, Mm -hmm. amongst inmates themselves, sexual like how Kerman had noted that she was groped, like sexual harassment and assault of inmates. Like like even if even if the things didn't happen to her specifically, the fact that uh, it's opening up the conversation to talk about it is doing good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, once again, like you can read Orange is the New Black wherever, like you can go to your library and I'm sure they will have a copy. Um, there, you can watch it on Netflix. There's a ton of There's a ton of resources out there if you want to learn more about the the u.s prison system and all of the many issues that it has um yeah yeah. but that's that's piper kerman and that's our first episode of women's history month yes and if you are a member of our patreon that usually votes on episodes for this month uh you'll have the whole list of um all the episodes that we're going to cover on the patreon yes so you will you will know what we're talking about before we talk about it. <gasps> fun times. Very fun. Um, but if you need anything else from us, you can go to our website, which is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. You can also uh, find all of the links to uh, all of our other stuff. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, like I said, Patreon. So. Yeah. Go check it out. And you can email us at crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Yes. All right. That's that's all I've got to say. Do you I have anything else to say? No. I think we got it we got it going. Oh, I did have uh I did have yeah. some takers on um oh. my send me free food <laughs> uh thing. I still this have boxes. Me. We're not sponsored by HelloFresh at all, but I still have free boxes. If you want a free box of food send me an email that says give me free food with a photo of your cats or true. pets or true there needs to be cats involved honestly if it's just or an pets, animal, any pets yeah if yeah. it's just an animal that you have found on the internet that you think is cute yeah send it over 
Send we all need over. that serotonin boost. We we uh, I, like it doesn't matter. I love seeing those those photos that they have on my Twitter feed now of the little baby ducklings like snugging with a baby bunny. Like I just I love that shit. Like all right. it, we're simple creatures. Yeah. Crime culture <laughs> podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, and with that, we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.